You're listening to Selfish. This is where we bring self-care and bravery together to encourage you to follow your dreams. Here's your host, your favorite selfish enthusiast, Allie Hembree-Martin. Brielle Cotterman and I met last summer and formed an instant friendship because of our common work in the publicity world. However, it is Brielle's transparency about her past that will capture your heart. Brielle, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Allie. Super excited to chat. So first, tell us about yourself. Well, I am an American woman. Let's start with that. I was going to say mom or wife first, but I think it's better to say. <laughs> um, and, you know, also mom, wife, and an entrepreneur. I am addicted to musical theater. It's like one of my favorites. Um, I'm a horse girl. I grew up in the country, love horses, huge animal person. I've always been connected and felt very at peace in nature. And even though I run a publicity group, I live in the country on a farm. I love that. And we have so many, we're a kindred spirit because musical theater, we just, I know. That. So I love that. That's I so know. <laughs> so um, we got connected because we work in similar fields as far as um, public relations and really helping individuals brand themselves and, and get themselves out there. You consider yourself a celebrity maker. Tell us I do. what led you to become a celebrity maker. So uh, for me, um, my the early part of my career, I, I, so first of all, backtrack just a, a moment before this, one step. Um, I competed in the Miss America organization for years and years, you know, hence the musical theater, the whole being on stage. Uh, but I was also... Um, a very good student. So the Miss America organization was a fantastic fit for me uh, for scholarship. And because of my involvement in the Miss America organization, I served as national spokesperson for two different charitable organizations. So I had the opportunity to do that in my very early 20s, which was, you know, a phenomenal experience, tons of public speaking experience. Um, and then I went into sales and I worked in uh, high-end sales within a bank and I managed a group of their private clients. So I have a ton of sales experience. And then I took a break from working for quite some time and was a stay-at-home mom. And when I re-entered the workforce, I threw myself into an organization that was run by one of my best friends. She was a Duke-educated attorney. She owned this amazing, it's a wonderful business model. Um, publicity and public relations marketing firm and really helping people to create dream careers and in turn lives. And so I got to come in at a very high level because of my experience. Um, you know, I got to help train people on public speaking. I got the opportunity to step into managing some of her amazing clients and help them really make those dreams come true of um, you know, being uh, the celebrity within their niche market. And so I got a ton of experience there. And what I realized, Allie, was that people would come into this opportunity, you know, creating 
a new career for themselves, creating a life after sports, for instance, creating, um, you know, moving, transitioning from an executive level professional to starting their own consulting career um, and wanting to be a speaker and do the book and, you know, the whole, the whole nine yards. And there were certain people that would skyrocket to success. And there were certain people that would kind of plateau and stall out. And so from sales and marketing background, I'm like, well, there's got to be a reason why, you know, so I start looking at this like as case studies. And what are the defining characteristics when these people come in, and they are well educated, super qualified, all the things on paper that they need in order to become a celebrity within their niche market. And the ones time and time and time again, the ones that would rise to the top alley were the ones who mastered telling their story. So that's really where you have now grown into with your um, business because you're passionate about encouraging women to tell that story. And absolutely, talk, I mean, really, I feel like there's like a mind block. Like, why is it so difficult for women to do that? Well, especially it's especially difficult for women to do that because, well, a, a couple different things. You know, um, we are conditioned as we grow up and especially in the entrepreneurial wor- world for women, we are conditioned, you know, we've got to be superwoman, basically. Um, that's what we're taught. That's what we're taught by media. That's what we're conditioned to believe. We've got to be able to be, you know, working mom, we've got to be showing up for all the events, you know, all of these different things. And we have to do so with a smile on our face. You know, everybody, when you think about it, and I, I shouldn't say everybody, but most women, when you ask them how they are, they've got a quick I'm fine, ready to whip out. Mm -hmm. And that's because we are taught as a culture that we need to show up in this, you know, trying to reach this expectation of perfection. And we're not, we're not, none of us are perfect. We're all human. We're all having a human experience. But I just think it's amazing. You know, we're taught that we don't share those emotions. We don't share those stories. We stay superficial and, and to me, and I lived my life that way for a really long time, Allie. I know what it feels like. And it always felt like I was wearing a shoe that didn't fit. And so women are fearful of judgment. It's the number one fear that they express to me when we talk about sharing their story. Everybody has a story and everyone's story has a purpose. Everyone's story has a meaning. And I'm not talking about, you know, your story doesn't have to be filled with violence or trauma or, you know, all of those sorts of things in order for it to be useful. You don't have to pack up your whole life into a a backpack and, you know, move to Bali in order to make an impact. Hmm. And women often, so one, they undervalue their stories. And that comes back to self-worth has nothing to do with the story. The story itself, like I said, doesn't have to be filled with drama, trauma, you know, all of those things in order to make an impact. It's meaningful because you lived it. You are the only person, Allie, that can tell your story the way it needs to be told. And guess what? When you tell that story, you give other people permission to accept their own and to tell it as well. Mm, I yes, I completely agree with you. I mean, I think that really does open up the um, it just takes the pressure off of everyone and, and it takes expectations um, away and everyone really just feels like they're able to be freely themselves. Absolutely. When you are working with women about telling their stories, other than being fearful of, um, you know, coming out and, and 
being completely true of who they are. What is the biggest mistake you see them making in their businesses or within themselves? Yeah. So let's look at it from a business perspective. So one, um, I get tons of clients that come to me. I work with clients who are in transition and that's the best way to put it. Whether they're up leveling their business, whether they're coming out of retirement to become an author, whether they're, you know, have been a professional athlete and now they want to start a life after sports. They want to build a foundation, you know? Um, so people come to me in transition and maybe they're just, have plateaued. And that's what I see a lot of. I see women who have plateaued because here's the thing. You can make a business and a very successful business without telling your story. But there's two things. It's not going to be the success that it could be. And there's not going to be the longevity that you could have because you're only creating a superficial connection with your clients, with your prospects, with your audience. So that is where I meet most women. They are in a place where they need to define and refine and understand that story. And, you know, if you look at the brands and if you look at the thought leaders who are really knocking it out of the park, they don't stand here and say, oh, my life is perfect. Yep. Here I am. I look nice. My kids look nice. Everything is wonderful. They share their story. They share their challenges. They share their triumphs. And from a psychological perspective, you know, going back to looking at those case studies and so forth, I want to understand how things work. So for me, I want to understand why I can read somebody's content for a year. But then when I see them speak in person, I'm like moved to tears. And I'm like, I don't ever want to do business with anyone other than this person. (laughs) Yeah. So there's a reason for that. And Mm -hmm. the reason is the story. And it's the way our human mind works because we're created for community. You know, we are created for human connection. And when we get information, it it allows us to respect those brands. It allows us to respect those individuals. But it reaches only the most superficial level of our brain. When we hear a story, it ignites within us those similar emotions that we have experienced. So we create and form a connection with that person telling us the story, mm-hmm. which is so powerful. And that's where people are missing the boat. That's the definitive characteristic of a superstar. I love that because it's very similar to why I encourage people to start a podcast. If it makes sense for their business model or their blog, Because you are able to really develop those deeper relationships and connections because you are hearing, um, not only seeing and reading. So uh, I completely agree with that. Switching to you personally in this field, what Mm -hmm. do you enjoy most about working with women that are telling their stories? What, What part really gets you up in the morning and gets you excited about your job? Watching their dreams come true. You know, um, when we work on uncovering, and I, I ask people to do a lot of work beyond just professional work, Allie. I mean, we are kidding ourselves if we don't think that our emotional well-being directly impacts our businesses. 
So, you know, we're looking at self-worth. We're looking at all new levels of fear. You know, when we're asking people to go on television, we're asking people to share their story in a way that makes them extremely vulnerable. And my clients deal with all of those fears. All of those fears come up to the surface. So I'm really asking them to do a lot of work beyond just professional work. And so when I see those things start to move in a way that allows those dreams to come true, because most of us, you know, we don't, clients don't typically come to me and they say, you know, I really want to be emotionally aligned and Mm -hmm. um, a a conscious entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. They come to me and they say, you know, I've been in business for this long, or I want to start a foundation, or I want to start a new business, or you know, I have this vision that I want to create and and I need some support because I want to be a celebrity within my niche market or I need support through this transition. And what it comes down to is looking deeper, looking deeper within and and breaking through. And that's why I call it um, a breakthrough story, which is how we share our why without saying our why, um, because it allows us to break through the noise. But it's also typically, you know, has to do with a major transformation or transition in our lifetime. And that to me, you know, letting those steps come to uh, fruition to where they actually the action, the results start to surface. I love the tangible results. You know, Mm. I love the, the media features. I love, I love bringing those things to clients because it's just so rewarding. Yeah. It's really gratifying to actually see see your work Mm -hmm. come, come to life. So flipping that on its head, what do you find to be the most challenging part of your job? So I have, you know, so I mentioned the agency that I worked with. And since then, then I became an independent contractor. And I let my story hold me back. And I know we're going to talk about that here in just a little bit about my personal story. But I, I played small. Honestly, I did. I knew I was in a place where If I can't practice what I preach, if I can't show up and I can't own my story, how can I expect my clients to do that? Mm. And so I worked word of mouth. I had some amazing clients, but just a couple. Um, I didn't have much of an online presence because I didn't want to. And um, so I've stepped into this online presence and I've really embraced it. And I've really created a beautiful audience. And, um, you know, I get to bring value to them in all these different ways. And I have some group programs, but I primarily work one-on-one with my clients just because of the level of service that I provide. But the thing that has been the most challenging, Ali, is that when I am asking these women to share their stories and I start to hear these stories, it's really inspiring to see their rise afterwards. I mean, like, moves me to tears. But... The stories leading up to that, when I see all the challenges and all of the really serious issues and trauma and difficulties that people experience, it's really, like I said, it's very inspiring to see their rise afterwards, but um, I'm able to connect with that on a level and it's sometimes overwhelming to me that um, we as as people experience so many challenges and we go about life day to day kind of trying to pretend like we don't and it 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 makes me it just makes me sad 
And, and I mean, I think that's because you, like you, like you said, you are able to connect with them because you do have a very similar story and you are now an advocate for speaking out against domestic violence. Mm-hmm. So would you share with us your story of surviving domestic violence? I will. I will. But real quickly, I want to say, yes, I can connect with them. But the thing is, you can connect with them too. And so can everybody else. Because when we hear a person's story, our mind immediately takes us to a, a, a connection. So mm-hmm. it may not be a story, you know, if I'm hearing a, a story of abuse, I certainly can connect to that because that has been one of my my life experiences. But if I hear a story, if you, for instance, who has never experienced anything like that, if you hear a story um, about abuse, you're going to connect with that because you're going to feel empathy for that person. Mm. Um, and you are going that that humanizes that person to you. And you're also going to relate that to a time where you were facing a difficulty. Mm. So so the power of our stories, it, this is not something new. I mean, the, uh, our stories are our way of teaching, our way of explaining our why, you know, the brand story, the whole deal. I mean, you know, firsthand, they're so powerful and can connect with people on so many levels. And me being, you know, like an emotional person, (laughs) I do get very connected and very impacted by these stories. So um, uh, my personal experience with domestic violence, um, I am a survivor of both attempted murder and domestic violence. And, um, I was in a unique situation. I was in a situation with a person who was very savvy. And so my progression from mental and emotional abuse into physical abuse, there's nothing unique about that. Um, it started off, you know, a very charming person. And then by the time you're kind of sucked in, you're in this cycle and it is a for real Thing. There is a logical progression uh, from mental and emotional abuse to the physical abuse. And I was totally unaware of it, Allie. I didn't even realize that I was in an abusive relationship until it became physical, which was right at the, you know, the very end when I tried to leave. And that is when he attempted to take my life. And that is... Um, it's it's a super high percentage, and I, and I don't want to say an exact number because I don't have the statistic in front of me, but I believe, I know that it's north of 80% of homicides in domestic violence circumstances are when a woman tries to leave. Wow. So it is a it is a very real problem in the United States. We call it, um, I call it when I speak about it, a silent killer because it is something that has been going on for generations, and it's something that it's taboo to discuss. It's not something that um, there's a huge level of shame and guilt associated with domestic violence victims or for domestic violence victims. It is, you know, there's a very typical pattern. Um, There are a lot of stereotypes that need to be broken. You know, I was very well educated, very successful, and I beat myself up like, how could I have gotten into this mess? You know, this is hindsight, so it was 2020. But, you know, I think a big thing that our media does that is not correct is that we portray victims and survivors of domestic violence to be within a certain demographic and a certain um, educational level within a certain socioeconomic bracket. And that is not the case. It does not discriminate. 
And domestic violence takes place every single day. Three women die every single day. Wow. From domestic violence in this world today. To me, that's a totally unacceptable statistic. And these things that go on every single day, domestic violence hotlines across the United States get more than 20,000 phone calls. That's hard to imagine. I think so, too. Wow. I mean, that that's just, I really, I know you and I have talked about this before. And gosh, every time we talk about it, I just it's really hard for me to wrap my head around. So I think the beauty of your story is you are able to bring to light these, this topic that is not talked about enough. And like you said, we need to break those stereotypes in the mold that is, um, you know, kind of looked at as, um, you know, part of this. So Thank you for telling your story, but also thank you for, for being brave enough to come out and talk about this because, gosh, there's just so much work that needs to be done still. Yeah, no, for sure. So every year, Allie, and, and, and thank you for saying that, um, you know, I let this story own me um, because in my mind, it defined me. And so... I know, I know what it's like. I know what it means to have a story. I, you know, I feel like, and I tell my clients this all the time, we all have a beautiful gift to give to the world. It's only ours because we're the only ones that have lived it. We're the only ones that have experienced it this way. But it was literally bursting out of me. I knew that I could make a difference in somebody else's life, Allie, but I was too scared to do it. I knew that I could help someone else. I could put something in front of someone from my experience that would prevent them from a fate like what I dealt with or worse. Mm. And I still held myself back because it's really unfortunate, um, but survivors of domestic violence are not met from a place of with a, in a place of empathy. And I, I understand the psychological reasons why, because uh, victim shaming is very, very real. And I can't tell you the number of times people have said to me, well, why didn't you just leave? Mm. And so there's very little empathy when dealing, when meeting a survivor. Um, and so that's why it's super important, one, that survivors speak. And two, that we all speak about our stories. And like I said, you know, my story was very trauma filled, but it, it's important for me to share because it's estimated that more than 10 million people experience domestic violence in the U S each year. Wow. So this is a very, very real problem, a very real social issue. And I knew that I had to stand up and say something, but we all have stories to share and they are in our hearts for a reason. They were put there for a reason. And that is so that we can make an impact. I agree. I mean, there it is happens to us and it it's our job to to do with it um, you know, as we see fit. So um, mm-hmm. I think it's it's beautiful that that's what you're doing with yours. So well, thank, thank you. you. 
Switching gears a little bit, um, uh-huh. thinking about the show, Selfish, um, we are looking yes. at self-care in a positive light. What are your favorite ways to be selfish? So I love this question, first of all, because especially for women, because I think we're taught to be selfless instead of selfish. And I think that, you know, in reality, the people, the women who are really winning are the ones who find that good balance of both. And um, so I'm selfish with my time. It's that. not something I've always been able to do, but I know what it feels like to just go and go and go until there's nothing left of me. I know what it feels like to do things that make me feel angsty because I've already committed to it and, um, you know, or go somewhere because somebody has asked me to and I feel guilty not going even though I am exhausted or I need 10 minutes alone to sit and read or take a nap or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I just don't do it anymore. Yep. I love that. Is there anything you wish you could be doing more of? In the, from a self-care perspective? Yeah, or anything. Um, you know, I if I do have a lot of big plans if we want to get onto that, but <laughs> Yes, well, well, yes, let's just go right into to so, my last question of what's next for you? Okay, well, we can backtrack for 2 seconds. So, what do I wish I were doing more of? This is what I did last night. Um, I auditioned for a musical. Yay! I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. And so it was it was huge for me because, like I said, I love musical theater. I'm a huge theater buff. I love music, you know, the whole deal. And um spent a ton of time on stage when I was younger and have continue to be on stage just in a different capacity and um, throughout my life and my career. And the relationship that I referred to earlier, you know, when I was in a, a relationship that ended up becoming physically violent, I was also very uh, sheltered in a lot of ways. And so I was made to feel like that's not something I should be doing. I should not be being in a musical. That's uh, you know, I would be on stage and I should be, you know, taking care of my family and all of those things. And so I didn't realize until last night that I still kind of heard those things in my mind. Um, mm. And it's been many years since that took place. But those things were still kind of there. And so when I got up there and I auditioned and got to read lines and sing and do the whole deal. I felt incredible. I felt like I was on top of the world and not just because I was doing something that I was passionate about, but it was because I just broke an, another level of connection to that conditioned thinking, another level of connection to that person who tried to take my life. And I didn't even realize it was there. You know, that's the thing. It was just part of me, but um, I didn't, I was, I couldn't articulate it. You know what I mean? It was not like I was like sitting there thinking, well, I shouldn't audition for this play because, you know, years ago he told me this. But afterwards, it was clear as could be. And I'm just so thankful that I'm doing things for me. I'm doing things that are 
you know, bring me joy. And so, yeah, I would do more of that. I would do more musicals and, um, and my horses, you know, my children and my family, of course, bring me joy too, but my horses bring me joy. And so I should be riding more. So I, I shouldn't say I should, <laughs> I would like to be riding yes. more. Let's say it that way. Yes, That's a better way. To exactly. Say. What is next for Brielle? Well, Allie, what I, um, my business continues to grow, which is super exciting. The niche of helping people to really become the celebrity, build that foundation, you know, create all the credibility, uh, within their niche. So they're always top of the mind when people think of that. I'm not talking about like creating celebrity, like making somebody walk down the street famous. I'm talking about, you know, being the credible authority for their subject matter or their business or their foundation or, you know, their cause. And, um, it's so extremely fulfilling to me and I'm continuing to grow my organization. And what I really see is don't be surprised if in 2020 you see a, a large event And this event, yeah, I know, I'm super excited. And it would be for women. And when I say large event, I mean large scale. I don't mean large in the number of people because I believe in going wide in our networking, but going very deep in our nurturing. Mm. And so um, I'm thinking, you know, like concierge level event, completely curated based on the needs that are arising within their business, um, customized networking, um, and, and all of that being just completely curated down to the last detail. And then some like maybe superstar powerhouse speakers as well. Wow. If anybody can do that, it's you. Um, so thank you. (laughs) I'm looking forward to that, but, but really I'm so grateful for your friendship and that you are so willing to share your story. So thank you for taking the time to talk with me today, Brielle. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. And, and again, I just feel super blessed by our uh, friendship and, you know, it's just one of those wonderful things that when you're present and you're aware then all of these beautiful people come into your life kind of like at exactly the right time. Like what you just heard? Visit us at SelfishThePodcast.com. Subscribe and leave a review on iTunes today.